Father in the heavens, your word is pure, like gold purified and tried seven times in fire. Uh, your word is, uh, is our reliance. I've merely attempted today, Father, to package it up a certain way. I ask, Father, that if the packing tape is torn or I've got something wrong or I folded the paper wrong or something like that, you cause every such error to fall to the ground. But let the meanings and truth of your great word still pierce through. Uh, I commit this into your hands with my brothers and sisters here, and we beseech you for your blessing and guidance in this meeting. In the name and through the blood of Yahshua Messiah. Amen. Hallelujah. Beloved friends, it's so good to see new friends. Beloved friends from uh, times past. Some people I haven't seen in a while. So very good to see you all. It's so good to come to this place where we know what's expected of one another. It's a wonderful safe haven, as it were. I'm Brother Michael Bannock from Fulton, Missouri. May every promise of Yahshua's be yours in abundance. My remarks today are entitled Tribulation Prep 102, Our Secret Code. This is the first day of Tabernacles 2019, Our Secret Code. By the way, that's not only clickbait for uh, people scouring the Internet, but um, it's a way to to stir up your your, uh, interest and your imagination. Perhaps some outsider will foolishly think I'm going to talk about some code Some secret signals or something. Part two is what you're going to get today, and a bundle of related topics continuing through the feast. In Tribulation Preparation 101, I talked about enforcement, and that is serious business. I hope it becomes a little clearer today why I put enforcement number one. We'll get to that in a bit. But really, there is no security when there's no enforcement. This one is called Our Secret Code, and when I'm given the grace to do so, y'all willing, we'll get to 103, Tribulation Preparation 103, Gritty Dedication. By the way, if you're married or have children, you already understand, or if you're a businessman, or if you're in ministry, or if you've gone through finals week in a major college, then you know what gritty dedication is. You have a taste of it. And I'm going to apply that to um, the walk. I'm very concerned about the tribulation ahead, even if it's it's two generations from now where I think it'll be. Whether the great tribulation is near or far, we owe it to ourselves and children to be prepared for it. Many of the principles that would prepare us will also make for a good assembly now. In fact, we ought to get cracking on these principles. We're doing pretty good as I see it. But as I look down the horizon, I see some challenges coming. I see challenges brewing. Now, Moses' trials mainly revolved around a disorderly assembly in the wilderness. If you think about it, the tribulation of the last days will be very similar to the Exodus story. The parallels are striking. Now, that movie, The Ten Commandments, I'm not saying that it's truth or you know, 100% accurate, but the dramatizations there ought to really... Uh, send a chill up your spine look at the way these these Israelites behave you read the scriptures yep that's what they did Yahweh has laid out for us examples and instruction on how to handle naughty situations lots of them my intention today is to highlight um, some of that wisdom in the context of developing an understanding of our secret code a code only we will understand a code that's only going to work with us. Now, why I talk about tribulation preparation? People everywhere talk like the second coming is just around the corner. I've heard this since I was a kid. Oh, how much longer can things go on like this? I, I remember a guy in the 1980s complaining about crowded parking lots. <laughs> he, has, he saw nothing like what we have today. But how many of us are really prepared? We pound the drum, blow the horn, we... Internally, we acknowledge, yeah, things are getting kind of bad out there. But are we really prepared for the tribulation itself? Even if that tribulation is two generations away, we need to teach our children how to prepare so they can teach their children how to prepare. Hey, let me tap the brake. I had an idea. It's not in the notes. I had an idea. 
there's a trend that you'll find if you study um, revival, restoration groups through history. There's a trend. It's unmistakable. The first generation's really excited. And then the next generation's kind of dedicated. And then the third generation just peters out. <laughs> Nothing. You know, the, the tangential interest. Oh, yeah. You know, Uncle Charlie was in that religion. Yeah. And some of these revivals turn into whole denominations, don't they? You know, and um, what's interesting about the Sacred Name Movement, it's been around since around World War II, perhaps sooner. But we never matured or ripened into a denomination. And I like that. I like that idea. Furthermore, we have, we have no charismatic leaders. And that, that's comforting because we don't, that means now we're not a cult. In fact, it's got to the point where if we have a charismatic, charismatic leader, we get suspicious. We start to wonder, hmm, this guy might have problems. If a guy is too exciting, because we've been burned by that. Our history, the history for many of us comes from a, a confluence through the Worldwide Church of God. And we know what it was to have a couple of charismatic leaders there and have them let us down. In the Sacred Name Movement, it's a focus on Yahweh and his word. I'm tickled pink to acknowledge there is no uh, denomination here. And that's why we have such a hard time telling people who we are. You ever notice that? Employers or friends, new acquaintances, what is your religion? And uh, we scratch our heads, we, we call YRM and say, what do we call ourselves? And these things, we, we are not a denomination. So um, that's kind of good. But there is this trend of a first generation excited, second generation kind of excited, and the third generation is wallowing, and they might make a comeback in the fourth and fifth generation. What I want to propose is the opposite of that, is that our generation is kind of on fire, the next generation's really on fire, and the generation on that is ready for everything. In other words, it trends upward instead of downward, where the next generation's reaching higher, doing more exploits. So I'm, I'm putting before you a framework, a concept, where we're setting the stage for more in ages to come. Where the people themselves are prepared for that. Do we have an example of that in scripture? Well, yeah, you do. When John the Baptist came, he was setting the stage for Yahshua's era. And Yahshua was setting the stage for the apostolic era, where they did even more. So you see this idea of going upward, generation after generation, that's in the Bible. It doesn't have to be, it's a... a one guy said the trend is always toward apostasy. It doesn't have to be that way. It could be we're going the other way. I'd like you to consider a schema that I came up with. It's just an analogy. No analogy is perfect now. Um, just to try to conceptualize this so you have an idea of how I'm uh, packaging the principles I'll be giving you. Pretend that our ordinary days on this earth are sort of like homework in Yahweh's great school. Now, everybody here knows that the minute you come out of the waters of baptism, school is in session for the rest of your life. You're no getting around it. So you might as well enjoy it. The feast days are like regular quizzes. You get a lot of training during the, the, the feast days, and we, we do experience trials. We have trials uh, getting to the feast days. Uh, sometimes we have a hard time uh, gearing up for Sabbath. I've learned that it's good to try prepare, start preparation Thursday night because that is preparation day. But imagine the feast days um, are your regular quizzes. Then the final exam is the last days, the tribulation. That's your final exam. Your graduation is on resurrection day. And finally, in our eternal days, we have substantive work assignments where we get to exercise what we learned, we participate in Yah's kingdom. Now, look, many of you don't know me well, and that's okay, but if you, those who know me well know that I believe that the kingdom to come is 80% fun and games. I think it's nature trails. I think it's um, uh, volleyball. I think the kingdom is fishing. I, I, as soon as I get a chance, I'm going to see if he'll let me dance on the rings of Saturn. I, I, I want to try that. 
But I think that the kingdom is really fun and games. But we're also going to work hard. We're going to work strong and we're going to play strong and we're going to worship strong. And we'll have substantive things to keep us occupied, much like our parents had when they just had to dress and keep a garden. Well, if you have, if you could accept this schema for a while, even tentatively, I'm putting a focus on those last days right now. I'd like us to prepare for the final exam. Tribulation Prep 102, our secret code. Those words I choose, our secret code, quote, these words draw attention to a need. It offers protection from people with wrong intention, wrong influence, and wrong motives. In the course of your walk, especially those of you who have been mature and been in it for a while, can't you think of anybody who came into our midst with wrong intentions, wrong motives, and wrong influence? I can. Some of them had to, I have to look pretty far back, but some of them bubbled to the very top. I want you also to remember the parable of the ten virgins. I'm going to keep calling back to that. I have uh, explored interpretations of that with others. I've, I've done it up here. Today I'd like to give an interpretation to you that just won't quit. You got these ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. Five wise ones had their lamps full full of oil, all ready to go. The other five were foolish. Nothing. Now, Two things emerge from that story. Regardless of your interpretation, there's no way you could look at that and say, oh, look, that's a great time to evangelize. No, there's, there's the, the most you get in terms of evangelism is the ten wise ones saying, go get your own oil. You know, they, they, they don't help them get oil. They don't give them some of their oil. The most... You don't see that outpouring of evangelistic fervor there. It's like, hey, it's time. We got to bust out of here. You go get your own. The second point that jumps out at me today is that the oil obviously represents preparation. And people are going to debate about this for years. But it's very obvious in that story. The oil stands for a lot of things for sure, but it, is, it just won't quit. That the oil in the lamps of the wise virgins stands for preparation. They're ready to go. I don't know if I'm ready to go yet. It could be. But if I had children, I'd be working furiously to make sure they're ready. The, The entire curriculum of our home would be geared toward being ready. You really don't know when he's coming back. I mean, I'm not kidding. It is conceivable that every prophecy that has to be fulfilled was fulfilled in one way or in another already. Could be. Could be. Like like the 200 million horsemen coming from the east? Maybe that was Genghis Khan, you know? If he wants to come right now, he could. Well, let me take that back. If his father wants him to come back right now, he could. Anyway, we are told to be ready. Could happen at any time. I'm going to talk a little bit more about secret codes. I want to bring to remembrance a story of USA prisoners of war who used a special code to communicate between prison cells. If you are an American citizen, part of the culture, you'll love this. There was a real simple code they worked out, a four by six, I'm sorry, I think it was a five by five chart that everybody had in their mind. It had 25 letters of the alphabet. I don't know which letter they dropped off, but they dropped off one of the letters of the alphabet. And so the code was a real simple one with the row number and the column number. That would be row three, column two. And everybody knew what letter that was in the five-by-five square they memorized in their brain. That's not much of a code. And anybody could listen in on that and sort it out. Okay? But to initiate the conversation between the walls of the prison cells, they initiated with a code. And it went like this. Shave and a haircut, two bits. Now, if you're an American citizen, you heard that somewhere along the way. And so to begin, one guy on one side of the wall would go... 
And the guy on the other side would do the same thing. But if a Viet Cong was on the other side of the wall, they didn't know what they were doing. And so they could never crack through. Because the culture had embedded in it something that only we would know. Okay. That's, that's very uh, inspiring. It frustrated the Viet Cong to no end. What, what are they doing there? Well, it was part of our culture. What I'm going to be bringing forward today is something that should be embedded in our culture. The code was embedded into the culture of the American GIs, and the, the secret code I'm going to give you today is something that um, it's either in you now or uh, it's something you'll, uh, you'll develop quickly. Yahshua's secret code works in several phases. It works internally. It emphasizes character qualities. It is made obvious in our relationships. The code is impossible to break because it's impossible to fake. Let's remember the diagram I gave you when I talked about enforcement. I talked about Yahshua's outreach program. I have these concentric circles with me in the middle. I don't want to draw attention to me. I mean any one of us in the middle, and we're relating to each other, to the rest of us. Let's draw to remembrance Romans 12.10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. That's how any one of us is relating to everybody else. And then we relate to the rest of the world with our outreach. Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Now, there was, uh, we didn't have quite as many people here a week ago when I talked about this, but I had this recurring fantasy that maybe government agencies will try to infiltrate us, thinking we got some secrets, and we don't. But imagine they try to infiltrate us, and we convert them. We just wind up converting them. They go back to headquarters and say, hey, you know, those... Those Yahweh people are pretty good. You know? Come on with me next week. See what I see. To let our light shine before men. They come here and see how we behave toward each other, how we behave in general. I'm going to call to remembrance Tribulation Preparation 101, entitled Enforcement. just want to briefly go back to that. And I asked the question, what word is there for the phenomena of letting people, places, and things cloud your judgment? And that word would be favoritism. We tend to be defensive of our kids. We're defensive of our mates. We're defensive of our work. We're defensive of ourselves. We're defensive of our favorite movie stars, rock stars. I'd like you to hear what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 8.11. He says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. I do have this nagging fear that in a tribulation scenario, we're going to have troublemakers. And some of them may be people you like. Some of them may be your relatives. Some of them may be your own kids. And you're going to have to execute judgment, right judgment. No more favorites. Well, I'm saying that's got to end before the tribulation. Don't think you're going to pull it off at, at the end time. The way the fellowship is unfolding, there's pockets of dedication around the country and around the world. I don't know who they all are, but I know they're out there. It's kind of reminiscent of the sons of the prophets. If you want a dandy Bible study, go look for the sons of the prophets in the Old Testament. These were communities of people who knew Yahweh very well. In fact, when the king wanted to know the facts, he tried to get in touch with the sons of the prophets. But you have to look for them. It's not, it's not under a rock. They're, they're right there looking back at you. The company of the prophets, the brotherhood of the prophets, the translations rendered a little differently. Um, king David knew the sons of the prophets. Uh, the prophet Samuel knew the sons of the prophets. Um, Shaul knew the sons of the prophets. Bunches of them knew the sons of the prophets. Eliah did, and Elisha did. Just before, read the story. Before Eliah was taken away, he was visiting one of, the, one of the communities of the sons of the prophets. These communities worked these things out among themselves. 
That's what I'm inviting you to do. At each, each clustering of saints, like we have here, there's a, a great work and a great drama uh, unfolding. And even something as simple as helping to clean the bathrooms is part of that. But this problem of not executing judgment, it'll tear down our organization. If we see that there's favoritism, perhaps a, a, a parents will not discipline their children, treating them daintily, it will be disruptive to other kids. If the ministry fails to render right judgment in due season, it also will have a corrosive effect. And we have seen this in the past in other places. This problem that Solomon pinpoints explains everything we see in government corruption down to the unruly kids in your neighborhood. A good deal of frustration is out there because judgment is not executed speedily. On odd number of days, we have verified reports of policemen who are corrupt. And on alternate days, we see the policemen frustrated. They capture the criminal, they follow all the rules, they document the proof of guilt, and the criminal still goes free. This lack of enforcement has a very corrosive effect, and it has to be at play in the assembly. And we're going to have to get good at it now, sometimes even bringing to discipline people we care about. Now, here's an example of, a, of an enforcement at play. It's from Revelation 20, verse 2. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Boy, what a relief that'll be to have him off the streets. Hmm? Maybe we'll get a chance to straighten things out for those thousand years. Okay, we're going to transition now. To, to the meat of this uh, topic today. The plenary principle, the primary plenary principle is discernment. Hebrews 5.14 says, But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It's going to take us time to sort some things out. What will, what will we tolerate and what will we not tolerate? I know that the ministry here has some very crisp ideas about what they will and will not tolerate. But uh, we, have a, we have a long way to go between now and the tribulation. And um, there's going to be challenges up ahead that uh, I can't even imagine. Because I know our enemy has an imagination. We will have to apply supernatural wisdom to natural events around us. Natural choices. We'll have to develop discernment. Sometimes it will come strictly through our spirit. Sometimes it's going to come through a, a factual manifestation. But this principle of discernment is going to be a big one. And uh, before I flip the slides, you're going to, we're going to have to figure out how to sort out between a group mob mentality where we're piling on someone versus a case where all the facts are put out and then we as a body say... Uh, this person's a problem. We better bump this up the chain of command. Uh, I'm scared to death of mob mentality. If you want, if you, um, I may have mentioned it before, but if you want to see an example of mob mentality gone amok, look up that old classic film from 1963, uh, Lord of the Flies. How many here have seen that film or read the book? Okay, good. I urge every one of you to get in on that. It's a terrifying story of a bunch of boys who were stranded on an island, and they went nuts. I mean, they just went nuts. And uh, I saw some follow-up commentary. They said that on the movie set, the kids started acting like they did in the movie with their roles. This, this mob mentality is very catching. Okay, we're going to go into rapid-file principles. And um, fasten your seatbelts, just like last week. Messianic principle, forgiveness. No unforgiveness is allowed. None. I think it's in Hebrews. It tells us to lay aside every weight that hinders this. It will really hinder you from fulfilling your kingdom potential if you walk around with uh, resentments, baggage, unforgiveness, unresolved conflicts, 
Matthew 18.35 says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. Forgiving from the heart. Now, here's what I use to make sure, because sometimes it takes a while for the pain to go away. right? But here's how I figure I, I resolved it. I, if I imagine there's two buttons in front of me, one is forgive and the other one's punish. And I'm thinking of this man or woman who's offended me. Forgive or punish. If in my mind I'm willing to push the forgive button and not the punish button, then I figure I've forgiven them in my heart. You're going to have to sort that out for yourself. That's just a tip from somebody who's had a lot of forgiving to do. Well, um, I'm also somebody who had received a lot of forgiveness. Somebody once said that we all say something dumb twice a day. And we're doing pretty good if we keep it to that, you know. Um, I'm not giving you permission to do or say something dumb twice a day, but we are stuck with this human nature, and we do bump into each other. At the feast, we sometimes learn. Remember, I said the feast is like a, a big quiz, and sometimes we find ourselves getting in each other's way inadvertently. If I'm not paying attention, I'm not doing the job. But I remember once... Uh, a beloved deacon here offered a prayer at the end of a service. He said, please give us the grace to forgive every offense and every perceived offense. And you'll find sometimes the things that offend you may actually be just a misunderstanding. I don't know about you, but many times I had thought I knew for sure someone betrayed me. I knew it. I got the goods. I caught them. I know the facts. Then when I come forward and I approach them with this, I find out it was all a misunderstanding. It was B before A. They, were, they weren't doing what I thought, you know. And So it is really good to withhold judgment. and Because uh, I've learned the hard way that sometimes my assessment was wrong. Forgiveness is required. Unforgiveness is not an option. Not only are you going to pollute the assembly with your unforgiveness, if you wallow in this nonsense... But you're going to ruin it for us in the tribulation to come. There's all kinds of strategies out there on how to overcome unforgiveness, but it starts with the decision, I'm not going to allow this. I'm going to figure out how to do this. Now, the greatest injustice in the universe was the execution of Yahshua. He did nothing to no one, and he took the weight of everybody's guilt on himself. And he's telling us we've got to forgive 70 times 7. All right, now, when you think about the, the resentments and the, the offenses and things you've been racking up, I don't think you're anywhere near 490 a day. I don't think you're even close. For all we know, Yahweh may be forgiving us 490 times a day, and we don't know it. When it comes to offenses, there are three. Oh, look at this. I, mis, I mislabeled. There's actually four choices. All right, well, I can't go back and edit the slide now. There's actually four choices. I'm going to go through them. One choice is to immediately forgive and live. Just forgive and live. You just overlook it. Say, forget it. It's not worth worrying about. Just let it go. Now, if it continues like a pattern, yeah, you may, it, it, then you're going to have to step up and approach them. But anyway, there's a lot of situations where you're going to have to just overlook it. And the scriptures support this, as I'll show in a moment. But another way of handling uh, an offense is to stew and stir. Stir it around in your brain, go over and over, let it fume, let that smoke spiral out of your ears. Ooh, what he did to me was so bad. What she did to me was so bad. It's just stew and stir and do nothing about it. Some people draw strength from that foolishness. But it'll show on your face over time. And you don't want to be like that. We are all victims and we are all sinners. All right, there was a fellow in Chicago named Bill Gothard. He made a ministerial career out of coaching people on how to forgive their parents. Uh, do we have any perfect parents here? Do we have any perfect? Show of hands. It's just not going to happen. We've all failed. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to fall short. Authority figures. You know, I, it must be very hard to have an authority figure abuse you, I, uh, whether it be a policeman or government. 
that this is exactly what Yahshua endured. The Jews condemned him to death back then, and then they handed him over to the Romans. Then there's the blab and jab strategy, where I'm offended, and instead of going to the individual direct, I tell everybody else. Get everybody, like I'm building up a consensus. And finally, there's the biblical approach, which is to approach and coach. Engage them, tell them. You have the program in Leviticus 19, and you have the program in Yahshua's three-step protocol. But uh, this business of immediately forgive and live, this is found in Proverbs 19.11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his honor to pass over a transgression. There's just situations where you say, it ain't worth it. Just forget it. You know, let it go. And there's your biblical authority for that. But some things do need processing. And if, uh, if it rises to that level, I'm going to give you now Leviticus 19. I cited this a week ago. Leviticus 19, 16 through 18. I've highlighted in green the, the pertinent words, but it looked like there's more green than non-green. But I'll read it anyway. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer. Okay, that's the blab and jab strategy. Okay. Among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am Yahweh. Verse 17, you shall not hate thy brother in thine heart. That's the, that's the stew and stir method. You're hating your brother in your heart. You shall in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Hey, you know what you did the other day really bothers me. You know, can we talk about that? Hey, we were moving junk out of your, your garage. It was a really fun day to help you clean out the garage. I saw some magazine on that shelf over there that looked kind of foreign to the spirit of truth. What were you doing with that? Hmm. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, nor bear any grudge. Boy, is that a big one. Carrying resentments around. These burdens, like boulders on your back. You can't function. And Leviticus 19, verse 18, closes with, you shall, love Yahweh, you shall love thy neighbor as thyself, I am Yahweh. So there it is, uh, the command to love your neighbor as yourself is packaged in the context of forgiveness, of engaging your brother and telling him his sin and leading him to uh, rebuilding. So I'm going to scratch out the word forgiveness in the upper right-hand corner of the slide. I'm going to replace it with reconciliation. Boy, we need reconciliation really bad. 2 Corinthians 5.18 gives us authority and power that we should feel free to use. And all things are of Elohim, who hath reconciled us to himself by Yahshua the Messiah, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our job. That's our, if, if you're studying the commandments so that you can condemn others, you miss, you miss the point. You, you miss the whole thing. You don't belong in this covenant. The ministry of reconciliation. Well, I've been putting a lot of thought lately into evangelism. What's really involved there? I'm taking a break here. Tapping the break, a break again. Um, I think the fields, I know the fields are ripe for harvest. Uh, un, unlike anything before. If you, if you were to Take for the case of a, a fervently devout Christian who's really doing all he knows. His heart is aching to see a true evangel out there. Then you take the lukewarm Christian whose conscience has bothered him. He wants to see some action. Then you get the sinners whose conscience won't let them sleep at night. They want answers. And I'm convinced that the, the fields are very ripe right now. The Ministry of Reconciliation. Well, pressing on, messianic principle uh, continuing is yielding. No stubbornness. No stubbornness. Okay, I want to address primarily uh, my thoughts to the young people. I mean, this is for everybody, but those of you who are uh, on the threshold of adulthood or, or entering, entering maturity, I want to need to think about a story. True story related to me by Sister Lucille of Chicago. Uh, she said, uh, she quoted the verse that says, out of the mouth of babes he has ordained strength. And this is an example of that. A boy was driving down a dark road through the mountains and the, the forests. 
big highway in the dark with his son. And as they're driving that quiet night, his son said, Hey, Daddy, the lights are disappearing in the distance. He looked at his son and he says, What are you talking about? The boy said, Look, Daddy, the car's in the distance. They just disappear. And he looked and he saw one of the cars way in the distance was driving and bang, the lights went out. So he tapped the brakes, slowed down, slower, slower. He saw more lights disappear and he come to the edge of a bridge that had fallen out. Now, if he hadn't listened to his son, he would have died. But then there's the secondary part. He has to flip that car around. Now, he doesn't have traffic coming from the other direction. But he has to flip the car around and warn everybody else. And I still don't know the details of how he did that. I've often wondered what would I do. Would I orient the headlights toward the oncoming traffic? Would I put it at an angle? Would I, would I get tired of doing jumping jacks? You know, how would that whole thing work out? I don't know. And then to hear the people screaming in the valley below. Um, I, I'm speaking primarily now to the, to the, uh, the, the young. This story has two parts, parts that impress me. One is the dad listened to his child. That's important, listening. Just listening is an important messianic principle. He yielded to his son. He didn't say, oh, shut up, kid. You don't know what you're talking about. He honored his son with an audience. But now I have to mimic that dad and warn all of you of the oncoming traffic. The next principle I'm going to teach you is so serious. I'm making an appeal to young people because you may be at a place where you're going to make an unwise decision. Stubbornness is not allowed by Yahweh. Stubbornness is not allowed. I'm not talking about fervency, dedication, faithfulness. I'm talking about stubbornness. If you can find a quiet moment with your parents, ask them about this. We grown-ups deal with stubbornness in a lot of places, and it's hard. We have stubbornness in the government. We have stubbornness in our workplaces. We have stubbornness in some of our friendships. Stubbornness is very hard to deal with. Young people... Don't get involved with stubbornness. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, the prophet Samuel says, Yahweh says through Samuel, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, Yahweh promises we'll never be tempted beyond our ability to resist. But there are people who say, Man, I was slammed with some temptation I couldn't resist. And you drill down and you find out they got rebellion in their lives. They're not obeying the laws of the land. They're not obeying the laws of Yahweh. Some of these laws they break are kind of simple to keep. What is witchcraft? Well, for this conversation, it is a portal. It is an entryway to Satan's realm. You don't want to go there. Rebellion puts you in that zone. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. We preach against idolatry here. Iniquity is just general sinful lifestyle. Stubbornness is that. Now, Romans 12.10 encourages us to be yielding to one another. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. This can get kind of rough um, there's no question that the Exodus story is the closest thing we have to a tribulation kind of scenario. But if you look closely, you will remember that the Exodus had a mixed multitude. A lot of people didn't look alike. A lot of people didn't act alike. They were different. It, the original Israel Exodus was Israel plus a mixed multitude. And they, kept the, they agreed to that covenant right along with Israel. I guess that was, that was their grafting in. But um, there's just floods of people here who are different than me, different backgrounds, different ages. Half of you are a different gender than me. Maybe that's a good thing. We have to honor each other, preferring each other. Imagine you have an environment where everybody's thinking the other guy's better than him. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take every single person at this feast and assume in your mind every one of them is better than you? Preferring one another. Even the person who's very different than you. 
Well, that's what's commanded here. Every one of you is more important than me. Now, if we all start thinking that way, I mean, from our own perspective, I don't mean you should all agree that you're better than me, like you all get together and say, oh, we're better than my... <laughs> I mean, if every one of you believes that everybody else is better than you, then you have this mutually supportive fabric of fellowship. And even the one you think is the lowest brother, you don't know, you're always talking to him in ways you could never understand until you got to know him. Yielding, yielding to one another. Giving a standing and, uh, sorry, authority is not the right word, but giving someone a higher station than you in your mind and really acting that way. Yahshua warns us, He was talking about the nations there, but the nations are going to be judged by how they treat us. So how much more will we be judged by how we treat each other? Yielding. So for the young people, I tell you, don't enter relationships with the persistently stubborn. Okay, this is what I want. First, don't enter relationships with those who are always stubborn. At some point or another, you're going to have to confront them with that and say, man, you're, you're hard to deal with. Some of you may be contemplating a courtship. Now, this would be for all ages. But you don't go to somebody and say, if you weren't so stubborn, I could go out with you. You know, that's... <laughs> because they're going to hold back that stubborn behavior long enough to get what they want. Right? You're better off... No, don't go there. Don't enter relationships with the persistently stubborn. Now, the funny thing about stubbornness is often stubborn, stubborn people... Or some, I don't know why this is. Some people are drawn to each other and they fight. I don't know. They're drawn to each other and they fight. And breaking that cycle will involve other brethren getting involved. The Bible says take, your, take these things to the brotherhood. You know, it's very reasonable to get a, a bunch of brethren at a table or in a room somewhere and say, hey, help us sort this out, would you? It, it sure beats going to counselors who don't know Yahweh, going to Babylon's courts, which routinely spit on Yah's laws. Yeah, that, that's much better than to, to go to the brotherhood. We all have some stubbornness, so that's a good starting point for being humble. And if you are stubborn, cut it out. Come on, be honest. Do you have a stubborn streak? I don't like to use myself as an example. I don't like using up clock time with myself as an example. But um, the, uh, the chief engineer down in the control room uh, our, my, our friend, Brother Wilson, he was at my home, and he saw me loading a bunch of laundry in the dryer. And I turned the heat way up. I, no, I turned the time way up. And he's, you know, he's, he has an engineering background, too. He says, Brother Michael, uh, you don't want the clothes to catch on fire. You know? And I thought, you know, there are times I've pulled clothes out of this dryer, and they were really hot. So ever since then, I don't set the timer beyond 60 minutes, you know, just, but I, um, by the way, he wasn't far from the mark. A good fraction of your fires come from uh, block dryer vents, as I understand. So he wasn't far from the mark, but I, at this point in my life, I'm trying to get into the habit of yielding to people's opinions, even on little things. A day's going to come when I'm not going to have much say, so, um, so I, this business of yielding is something we should exercise here now. If we do not overcome stubbornness, our lot is witchcraft, iniquity, and idolatry. This is not a gag. It's not a game. This is the real thing. In my experience, research, and observation, disrespect of authority is a leading indicator of a person's character. You want to get a quick fix on somebody's character? Get a snapshot to how they defer to authority. If you don't believe me, try harder to believe me. You don't want to learn the hard way. Many of you who are young will be attracted to, to uh, someone of the opposite gender who has a little rebellious streak. It turns out people who are like this exude confidence. and It's a false kind of confidence, and you'll be attracted to that. Ooh, she's got spunk. Ooh, he's tough. You know, you'll be drawn to you'll be drawn to this. But you get mixed up with them, and sooner or later you're in the line of fire. 
Because if they're not going to obey authority figures, they will, they will not restrain themselves in dealing with you. No stubbornness. No one, especially the assembly at large, can handle stubbornness. Sign of a healthy assembly is when you put people out on occasion. And we've done that here. Just won't budge. Okay, on the other side of that, there's the messianic principle of speaking up. I found out something from the control room yesterday. In yesterday's YRM broadcast, one viewer reported a feedback echo in the online ministry outreach. There was an echo there. And so the chief engineer, he went on to the chat room and said, hey, is anybody else having this echo problem? And they all said yes. <laughs> so he took care of it. He knew, he knew what to do. It was a simple adjustment. But the question is, why did only one of them speak up? Yesterday's broadcast problem was fixed quickly, yet very few felt the freedom to speak up. Did they assume the problem was on, on their part of the line? Imagine everybody's thinking, hey, I'm the only one who's got this dumb echo. You know, but in fact, everybody is. Did they not want to appear grumbling and complaining? We do have strong doctrine against grumbling and complaining. We must cultivate an open spirit that invites constructive feedback, even if it looks like a complaint. You ever heard the word constructive criticism? Okay, We don't do constructive criticism because criticism is destructive. But we do constructive feedback. Say, hey, there's, there's a problem here. What do you know about this? Maybe it's just my end. And we have to receive these reports in a, in a royal spirit. Say, okay, maybe you're onto something. Let's check the facts. The chief broadcast engineer was willing to listen and someone was willing to raise a flag. That's the key. The chief engineer down there was willing to take one complaint seriously, just like, like that little boy in the car with his dad. And someone was willing to raise the flag. Both roles were necessary. I'm almost done here. This messianic principle of speaking up. This thing about, well, Elder Allen, I was great to, it was great to hear him cite this. I, I just love Malachi. You just read Malachi and it gives you an instant lift. Then they that feared Yahweh spake often one to another, and Yahweh hearkened and, it, and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared Yahweh and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith Yahweh of hosts. And that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. But Yahweh's people are in touch with each other. You know, Facebook might not be a good idea looking forward. We'll see. But there's emails, there's telephone calls, there's correspondence, there's going to feasts, hmm? things like that. Communication. Not looking down on anybody's communication. And uh, I'm delighted to know that in this culture, no question is a dumb question. So what is our secret code? I suggested last week it was sacred honor, the last two, days, the last two words of the Declaration of Independence. We're a small number of brave men dedicated to each other, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Is that our secret code? Well, that's close. How about being nice? Is that our secret code? How about staying out of trouble and paying tithes? Well, those are really great ideas, every one of them. I'm going to tell you what our secret code here. It comes from Philippians. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in the Messiah, Yahshua, who being in the form of Yahweh thought it not robbery to be equal with Yahweh, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. It was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the gallows. The secret code is the mind of Messiah. Accept no substitutes. Can't fake it. Sooner, if somebody tries to fake it, sooner or later we're going to smoke them out. Just like that shave and a haircut, two bits. If you're not in on it, you can't fake it. You might fake it for a little while. They talk about, I heard about how, how you can take fruit from one tree and, and clip it to the branches of another tree and make 
make any tree look like an apple tree, for example. But because those apples are not on the branch, they dry up and fall off. And you know they're phony fruit. A secret code is the mind of Messiah. We should do all we can to learn about that. I'm going to give you a, a primary illustration of the mind of Messiah before I punch out. No more forwarding? Thank you. Matthew eleven twenty-seven 27 to 30. Very big verse. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to highlight the secret in there. Very few uh, have caught this. It bothers me because I think we should be putting this like in our homes and that. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. There's the key. That's the yoke. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. That's the mind of Messiah. And you shall find rest for your souls. What are your burdens? Resentments? Past pain, some things are very hard to forgive, I know. But if you embrace his mentality, you'll be able to do it. Here's something you can put on your refrigerators. It's not in the notes here. One of the greatest burdens you can have is to burden yourself pursuing what you want rather than what you need. And when you pursue what you want rather than what you need, you create a mess for yourself and others. You get into trouble by pursuing what you want rather than what you need. I think I should put that on my refrigerator. You don't get in trouble pursuing what you need. You get in trouble pursuing what you want. For being meek and lowly in heart, it puts a nice regulator, a nice damper on that. Yes, in due season, we'll enjoy a cold drink and a burger and pizza. In a few days, we're going to goof off out there at the feast. It says that they made mirth at the tabernacles in Nehemiah's time. We're going to make mirth here, all right? But I think you guys know what I mean. You can really make a mess pursuing what you want rather than what you need. Yahshua's yoke is easy and his burden is light. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Yahweh bless you.